This is Inside Purple and Gold. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Inside Purple and Gold. I'm Dane Mizutani alongside Tom Schreier. It's Tuesday morning. We're recording ahead of the NFL Combine. Uh, Neither of us are down there, but we will talk more about that a little bit in today's episode, much more in the weeks to come. There's always fun little nuggets to come out of the combine, whether it's access from teams or obviously the risers and fallers um, of the actual event itself. Um, Before we get into prospects, though, interesting report came out yesterday, Tom. I I know we've talked about on this podcast, it feels inevitable that Kirk Cousins is just going to sign another one-year deal. It'll, it'll help move the money around. The Vikings need to create some cap space. That always felt like what I thought was going to happen. Well, NFL Network insider Tom Palacero, yesterday the report comes out, and I quote, this is from Palacero. I would not anticipate there's another one-year extension here. Either the Vikings and Kirk Cousins do a long-term extension that locks him up as their franchise quarterback, or potentially they keep their options open and let Cousins play out his existing deal. Where do you stand with that? What is the best option there? If one-year deal is not on the table, are you committing to Kirk long-term to move the money around, or are you just eating it, figuring out a way to create cap space and letting this deal play out? First thing I would like to know, and I don't think we'll ever know, is is this push from Cousins' side? Is he saying, I want to retire with the Minnesota Vikings, or is this – I think it's less likely, but like, is this push from Kwesi's side and O'Connell's, right? Like kind of commit to us. The interesting thing is if it's the latter and really this should apply in both circumstances, this is the opportunity for Cousins to go. I will take a little bit less for the certainty because he he essentially gets a bigger sum, right? If, let's say, right. I don't know how they go more than three years, right? He's entering his age 35 season. I don't know how you'd go like five and you're like, yeah, we're going to have 40 year old Kirk cousins out there. It's very possible. He can play at 40. We saw signs of decline, even though his stats were better, even though he was good in good situations. I think if you just looked at the physical skill, right. A little less zip on the ball and stuff, right. There's just some signs that like, Hey, he's, you know, 35 or 34 entering 35. Mm-hmm. If it's, even if it's a three-year deal, it's a relatively big commitment given that I just don't know what 38 year old Kirk cousins looks like. And I think if that's the case, the only reason I do that from the Vikings is let's get to a reasonable cap number, a little less than your market value. But here's what you get, Kirk. You get a coach who believes in you, an offensive system. I think he likes working with Wes. And you have faith, or he'd have to have faith, that Kwesi and his staff will put a team around him, meaning you're going to have a good offensive line, right? We'll figure out the center and the guards. Uh, You have Hawkinson and Jefferson. We're going to lock those guys up in part because you're taking less money than market value. Um, And we will make sure that there's, you know, receiver two or somehow that's uh, that happens within the offense. And then we're going to revamp this whole defense. And I think if you have a holistic conversation like this, Cousins has the leverage and can always say, give me more money because someone else would. Right. Um, But he may say, look, I could go join the jets, but that's a gamble. I could go join the whatever. There's a few teams out there that, that would um, pay him. Uh, It doesn't seem worth the gamble unless I guess that teams, the Niners, like I'm trying to think of like where he would go, where he'd kind of get, be in an equal space, right. Or whatever coach who believes in offensive talent team that wants to contend right now. So uh, that's the only way I see this working. And for people who are Cousins detractors, right? I understand if you believe in Kirk Cousins, if you're bullish and think that he's got some untapped potential because of the circumstances in. 
Um, I understand why you'd want him long-term. If you, if you actually want a succession plan, this actually might be better. Assuming again, you get to a number that's reasonable for the Vikings for cousins. Um, I think it's going to take multiple shots in the draft in order to get the successor, right? We've talked about this mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're looking at a three-year deal, and again, I think that's as far out as you can go, you're actually trying to make sure that, that by the third year it flips, right? Cousins yep. probably starts the season. The successor takes over. Um, that's because you have to develop that quarterback more and you have to take more multiple shots in the draft having said that it's like if you sign him to the long-term deal then it's like you do actually probably have to use a pick this year you know what i mean like like you <laughs> you only have yeah. so many shots and, and you have that development time um but i don't i do believe in the high floor that you need to have that you need to compete when you have justin jefferson you can't just throw random guys under center and hope that um the, he gets in the ball um but i do i mean it's it's a risky contract because there's no precedent for Cousins being like, yeah, I'm going to take a team-friendly deal. This has to be the first time he does it. Otherwise, if you're the Vikings, I guess you ride it out this year. It's going to be weird because I don't know how the hell like they compete with 16% of the cap going to Kirk Cousins. <clears throat> but I actually think the Vikings aren't wrong in, wrong in thinking, okay, then we need a succession plan right away, in which case, like, what is that plan? You know, that's that's my concern with the one-year deal with Cousins. That's, that's where I'm at. Like, my gut reaction is, okay, well, Kirk – it costs a lot of money. The team friendly deal sounds great, but like you said, there's no precedent that said he's going to do that. Um, I think I saw a graphic the other day. He's made more money than any quarterback in the league since 2017, except for I think maybe it's Russell Wilson. Um, he's he's number two. He, he's always going to take care of him and take care of his family. And I can't knock that. Like if, if you're going to go get your money, like you have a finite amount of time in as a professional athlete to make money. Um, Kirk Cousins is maximizing that time, but yeah, if he takes a team friendly deal, I think the long-term deal makes sense. My gut is okay. If he's not going to do that, you might want to just let this year play out and figure out everything else later. But what listening to you talk just there, Tom, like you're right. Like if you let this year play out, all right, go down this rabbit hole. If you let this year play out, you're going to be pretty good. You're not going to be in the Caleb Williams conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're probably not going to be in the Drake May conversation. That's as far as I'll go with quarterbacks I know next year and year, yeah, next year's I've, draft. Yeah. Um, but if you're not in on any of those two or either of those two, you're not finding a guy who's just going to come in and be better than Kirk Cousins next year, right? Like that's the that's the thing. You, you you're right. You need to have a high floor. You have a, a team in place. It definitely needs some tweaks. But when you have a guy like Justin Jefferson, you want to keep him happy and. Yeah. The, the guy has never lost in his career. He was he was great in high school. Obviously, one of the best college football teams we've ever seen at LSU. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he struggled. You know, he admitted it like a couple of years into his career, like hadn't made the playoffs, is not used mm-hmm. to this. Do you think he wants to go through a transitional period with, with whoever you use as the succession plan? The rookie quarterback always sounds good. It always sounds fun and sexy and new. But – there is something to be said about just being competitive. And mm-hmm. I think it might be the best way to do that is to take your medicine, lower the cap hit. Even if Kirk doesn't take a necessarily quote unquote team friendly deal, I think there are ways to just get the cap hit down to a degree mm-hmm. um, by stretching it out over three years, four years. Um, and then that does give you time to find the proper succession plan to a degree it's hard though because you don't know if that guy is, is gonna come to yeah. fruition like there's there's 
teams out there that have been looking for quarterback succession plans forever. And then they just don't. Yeah. So the only pause I would have with giving Kirk Cousins a long-term extension is I don't think you can win a Super Bowl with him. And I think you should be in the business of trying to win a Super Bowl. Um, I don't think you should be in the business of trying to make the playoffs. Um, I guess like that's a byproduct of winning the Super Bowl is making the playoffs. But this team had a ceiling this year, and we saw it when Mm -hmm. when they couldn't beat the Giants. Um, I think your ceiling is is the same, if not lowered, this year if Kirk Cousins is given that extension kind of long, long term. Now, I mean, part of that ceiling was the defense was terrible, right? We blame Dontel, but we've talked about how the roster was also all messed up and it's still kind of But you can't afford defense when your quarterback is taking up, like you said, 16% of the cap. Yeah, and so I got to imagine, I mean, I think about it from two, I think of the two forces that could um, help the Vikings here. I think one of them is obviously Kwesi has to think, again, like a CEO and kind of go, there may be just a tough conversation (laughs) in that building of like, yes, we can't, mess with Justin Jefferson, but um Quasi yeah. might be going like, look, I either need cousins to commit to us, meaning if he says he wants to retire here, I'm not saying this is going to be a high number no matter what. It just it cannot be the highest number possible because that does not work for the Minnesota Vikings. Um so I either need him to commit long term at a at a reasonable number so that I can put something around him. Or you enter this just, and no one's going to want to hear this, this Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, like think about, and I don't know if Cousins is that much better than those guys, right? But like you enter that sweepstakes every year, right? And that's, it's such an incredible gamble, but maybe he's saying like, look, it's just unfeasible to have the quarterback, especially Cousins caliber at 16%, right? Um, We talked about how like Mahomes, it works with Mahomes. It's going to work with Burrow and Allen, right? There aren't many guys that that number Mm -hmm. works for. Having said that, like, yeah, I mean, I get that. It's just, it, it is, it is, it is a weird, it's such a weird risk. And again, going back to the succession plan, it just can't happen like overnight. I, again, I was under the operating assumption Cousins was basically year to year, right, with the team. Right. Um, and that's why it matters to me who kind of presented this, right? Was it Cousins saying, look, like maybe his agent gets in his ear and he goes, Kirk, like, you've made a lot of, you're fine. You're, you're good with the amount of money you made. You should get market value. You take, devastating hits it's a violent game there's a lot of people that watch it on television right but he might be telling him like look what's important to you if cousins goes it's winning a super bowl his agent might be saying hey you can retire here you just can't take the maximum amount go stay in a place that you know where they're committed to winning where the ownership's good assuming he believes in quasi you believe in quasi certainly i think believes in o'connell why tempt fate somewhere else? Right. And it, that that's the other thing is like, that's what the agent's job is to do. Right. It's to advocate for the player, but also to kind of provide perspective. And, and again, maybe his agents is saying, let's go out and make the most amount of money. I will say this, like he 84 million guaranteed is, is such an absurd contract, especially at the time he did pass up more money from the jets. If I understand right. Right. I mean, it's like, it's not as though he always has gone for the most. And I do think what matters too is, Washington never believed in him, right? Yeah. Like they yep. just saw him as the backup, right? <clears throat> and at, while Spielman, I guess, did at one point, like Zimmer never believed in him. And this is a different circumstance, right? At the very least, O'Connell does. And so, again, I just think you're more likely at just the human mindset of like, yeah, I'm willing to compromise a little bit because of a good situation. But again, that's an assumption. I don't know how this is going to work. And I think this is why this is such stunning news is that it not only goes up against a operating assumption, 
but there's a missing piece of information. This isn't knocking in a reporter or whatever. There's a really big missing piece of information of like who approached Cousins with this or like how did or did Cousins approach the team? And I just I think that really matters. It feels like just using like logic. It it, it seems like this would come from Cousins camp, right? Like we're not going to be doing this. We don't want to do this year to year. We don't want to keep doing the will they, won't they year to year thing. Either commit to us or don't. But I get it from the other side. And I do think back to like that Quasi Adolfo Mensa quote that kind of made him go radio silent on us um, from the USA mm-hmm. Today article. Like probably taken a little bit out of context, but remember the quote, we don't have Tom Brady. We don't have Patrick Mahomes. It's more likely yeah. to win a Super Bowl if you have that quarterback. Quasi's like a guy who understands like the parameters of the league from a very like analytical decision-making process. And I think he understood, like, if me and you are sitting on this podcast being like, you probably aren't winning a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins. Like, you mm-hmm. think Quasey probably understands that too, right? Like, mm-hmm. to a degree, I get there's there's certain things at work with Kevin O'Connell getting the most out of him and, um, you know, Kirk Cousins finally having a coach that believes in him and taking steps forward. Maybe he'll take more steps forward next year. But there's limitations. And, and I think a guy who comes from the – background that Quasi Adolfo does of like not making emotional decisions on wall street, because if you get emotional, you lose. Like, I think he can separate the two. Um, and I think he kind of understands like what's in place with the Vikings and, and kind of the ceiling that they have. So I, I, you're right. Like, I'm curious where that report came from. My gut would say the cousins camp, because it's probably annoying to, to have to deal with this every off season. Like, are they going to mm-hmm. extend you? Are they not going to extend you? Um, but I could see the, the Vikings leaking this too. Like, so we'll see that this will obviously come to a head at some point in the next couple of weeks, few weeks. Um, I don't think this will drag a ton because the Vikings can't really afford for it to drag a ton. They have either have to commit to cousins, get the cap it down and, and, and flush out their roster from there. Or they have to realize that they're not going to be able to do that and cut cost a heck of a lot more places across the roster. To be frank, you can you can make it work if you don't extend cousins. Your roster is just going to be worse. Like you have, you're going to have to cut guys. You're going to have to restructure yeah. guys. You're going to put yourself. You're going to kick the can down the road with so many guys that you're going to potentially put yourself in cap hell moving forward. Um, yes, the cap is not. You know, the thing is the cap is fake, kind of. Um, but if you do this too long, you end up like New Orleans, who is like $95 million yeah. in cap hell. This, I'm not the first person to use this, but it's a little like a credit card, right? You could go like, oh, you can keep spending on it as long as like you have the kind of the credit limit, right? Mm-hmm. But like at some point you have to pay off that bill. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, it's not, it's not a perfect analogy because I guess people just carry credit debt forever. But like, I, I think like this is like when um, I can't remember which year I was one of the Cam Newton years, I think with the Patriots where like Belichick was like, we just need a year to reset the cap. Right. And like no one in New England wants to hear that, especially like post Tom Brady or whatever. And and like it just seems like something like Belichick would never admit, you know, and it doesn't help like he didn't draft well and he made some weird free agent moves or whatever. But like that part of it was true. Like you need this year to kind of just like pay off all that credit card debt so that you have you can use more of your limit. And I, I guess that's the way I think about it is like, it is fake year to year. It becomes very real at some point. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like you just have a lot of veteran players who aren't worth that much money who you got to pay off or you're just, I mean, it's a little like the Dalvin cook thing. Like 
listen, if you're the Wilfs, you take a $6 million hit, you know, I think it's to trade him or whatever, but like at some point you're going to your owner and being like, well, we got all this dead cap we got to pay off. Right. And we got to move this guy because we need a whatever. And like, <clears> that's <throat> also not a great thing if you're, if you're quasi or if you're yep. the organization, right. That's not like, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's fake year to year in that like New Orleans always stretches it. The best teams do. And that's why Rob Brzezinski is like this, right. It, that's why he's like a household name for Vikings fans. <laughs> Cause people are like, how does this guy do it? It's like, he just understands the cap at a, uh, you know, a, a huge level, right? That he he understands how void years work and mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Having said that, no matter what the expertise is, at some point he may go to the other guys and go like, "Look, this is not magic. Like, this is gonna burn you, and it's gonna burn you probably quicker than you think." Because, you know, if you restructure like Harrison Smith or something, do you really? I think he's a great player. Do you really want him at like thirty seven or what? You know, it's. I mean, that's the those are the consequences you have. So, I don't know. Yeah, the Viking. That's. It's it's incredible news, and again, if it's if it's cousins coming to them, I think the Vikings have to look at it and go like, look, we need to have some sort of compromise. You're still going to make a lot of money, but I guess in Quasi's mind, he's like, I could pay someone who's marginally worse than you substantially less, right? If you if you mm-hmm, want mm-hmm. maximum value, and again, that's how the Wall Street guy thinks, and that's Quasi's going to take risks. We've already seen it. Thinking back to last draft. I don't no problem trading within the division. And now you're like, well, Jameson Williams or, or uh, Christian Watson would probably have a role on this team. <laughs> you yep. know what I mean? Yep. But yep. Um, so, so again, like he, if he's willing to gamble in that way in a very public event, right. Everyone's pining for football um, loves the draft because of the promise and all this stuff and the storylines um, on draft day. Right now we think more about the opportunity cost he had that than, than his draft class. And that won't change until Lewis seen booth. I like Osmo, but you know, Osmo, some of these guys mm-hmm. make an impact on the defense. You bring up the Jamison Williams, Christian Watson, like it's kind of a good segue to where we kind of want to go with this is like Vikings pick at number 20. Well, they're 24, but they technically pick 23 because the dolphins have to forfeit their pick. Right. So they have the 24th pick in the draft, but they pick, they have the 23rd pick in the draft. Yeah. They have four picks in the draft and like, they're going to get some compensatory picks. Um, but because of the trades that they made and because of the swings that they made, and and I actually kind of like the way that Quasi talked about the draft last year. Like you you almost take it as like a year one, year two thing, like a red shirt year, and like our draft class is gonna hit its peak next year. Like that's what they said with these 10 picks or whatever they had last year. But early returns on that draft class are pretty abysmal. And mm-hmm. that's kind of unfair because of the injury bug and Lewis seen breaking his leg and Caleb Evans getting a bunch of concussions, Andrew Booth, not being able to stay on the field. Uh, but the fact of the matter is if you were trying to develop those guys, um, you lost a year of, of that. Um, so they only have four picks in this draft, partially because they've traded a couple, they've made a couple in, in season trades, TJ Hawkinson, obviously the biggest one. Um, but also because they used some draft capital last year or this year or from this year's draft in last year's yeah, draft. To yes. move up. Um, four picks, um, which makes the first round pick huge. Number 23, mm-hmm. I think kind of trying to close the loop on the Cousins thing. Like if you don't sign Cousins long term and you know he is going to expire at the end of this year, Presumably you will know that this is a complete rabbit hole. So bear with me. Presumably you will know that before the draft, a perfect scenario for the Vikings then would be one of the quarterbacks fall to 23 and you take them. If you know, Kirk cousins is not getting, is going to just be a lame duck quarterback this year, finish it out. 
you take the quarterback. Um, the problem is Anthony Richardson. I think he was the name that a lot of people were floating. Yeah. That guy's going to shoot a draft boards. He just is like, he is yeah. the type, uh, type of quarterback. He's throwing at the combine this week. If he throws well, he's going to just rock it up boards. He's, he is like, you could not create a player in Madden to look like a quarterback more than Anthony Richardson looks yeah. like a quarterback. He's a specimen. That guy's not going to be there at 23. You're probably going to have to trade up for him if, if you want him. Uh, same with Will Levis. He has like kind of the big arm. And then obviously CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, like they're not going to be there. Um, <laughs> yeah. So in a perfect world, if you're not extending cousins, Anthony Richardson's there at 23, you just take him. He's not going to be there. Who should the Vikings take at 23 then, Tom, if if they don't make moves to to go up in the draft? And it's kind of hard to see them trading up when they don't have any capital this year. They don't have a second-round pick to move up in the draft. Are they really going to pick from next year's draft picks to, to move up in this draft? And, uh, you know, who, who does that look like? You know, what person or player are you targeting that you're willing to move up in this draft? I don't see it happening. I, I see a, a yeah. trade back maybe more likely than a trade up. But it's always hard to forecast trades. So if they stay at 23, what position are you looking at? Because quarterback's not going to be an option, I don't think. Yeah, two quick things. First of all, it would be very funny. We know that Chicago's shopping the number one pick. It would be very funny if Quasi's first three dramatic moves are trading down with Detroit, trading down with Green Bay, and trading up with Chicago. Oh my God. Can you imagine they fall for Anthony Richardson at this draft? He's going to be the, he's he, everyone's yeah. saying, Oh my God, he's the consensus yes. number one. Now Quasey says we're trading everyone. We're trading yeah. the whole draft. We're going to go get him. I mean, the problem is you have to like trade from your roster. You know what I mean? Like Hawkinson or so. I don't know what it would be. I, also Hawkinson would be like, what the hell? Like I was in Detroit, Minnesota and Chicago, but yeah. um it would just be very funny if he did that. And at some point you're like, crazy stop, like trade with the team in the AFC. <laughs> but, 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 you know, the other thing is no one wants to hear this, but it's like, if you want more than five picks, I'm making an assumption here. They're getting something for Conklin. Although again, I don't really know how that's calculated. And I guess that's not guaranteed, but um, if you want more than four to five picks, like the first rounder is how you get more, right. As you move down the yeah. board, obviously they're less valuable. Um, Having said that, if they stick there, and I was just looking at what other people have, right? So this is, again, not comprehensive, but um, Matt Miller with ESPN had Drew Sanders, an and inside linebacker from Arkansas, which I actually think is really interesting. Um, McShea has Jordan Addison, receiver from USC, although on most mock drafts, I don't see him getting down to 23. Yeah. And then when it's like Kuiper, PFF, CBS, and The Athletic, um, everyone but CBS has, I think it's Deontay Banks or something. This is a, a cornerback. And then mm-hmm. CBS had, like, Kylie Ringo again I need to be more familiar with the draft prospect but like basically there is a consensus right they're going with corner I guess I'm going against the consensus here for this reason and it's literally just because one of our writers wrote about it um it's a it's a post on our site saying like our corner is still worth um premium picks uh if you look at like the Eagles the Niners the Patriots they have not used a lot of draft capital on cornerback and they've been able to put it together. Now you could go like, well, that Darius Slate trade, for example, was great for Philadelphia or whatever, you know, teams have to get lucky in some sense or have to be savvy in order to put this together. But when you look at three teams like that, um, I don't know. Think of the Vikings draft history, right? Given how much capital they spend on corner, um, how is it that they're in this position? And it, and, 
again, it's a different regime and, and, but you had a guy, Mike Zimmer, who knew cornerbacks, right? That was the position he coached coming up. I think it was still his area of expertise. Um, it seemed like he leaned on his son a little bit for like linebackers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like he really, really knew cornerbacks. And, um, uh, and so I think, I'm just like, I don't, I actually don't see him taking corner. Like, I think it's more interesting if a receiver falls to you, do at this point, do you take him right? And go Jordan Addison, let's hope you become the the receiver too, or at least a supplement in some ways to, to Hawkinson and obviously Jefferson. And the Drew Sanders one is interesting um, just because I think linebackers getting overlooked here. Like they're not going back with Jordan Hicks. I don't think you essentially have to replace Anthony Barr. We're talking about Eric Kendricks going out the door. Right. And so I think Osmo is great. He's one guy, a very young athletic, you know, linebacker. And I actually think there's some sense. I think it might kind of boggle the mind to some people where you're like, well, you need the receiver and you know, you need help on the offensive line and, you know, in the interior and you need, uh, you know, I actually think linebackers are so, so important in the NFL, right? And it, it's kind of like the bar pick, you know, like I think people remember this, but it's like people were pining for like Jan- Johnny Menzel, right, at yeah. the time. And when they were like Anthony Barr, the guy that was like a running back who converted a linebacker at UCLA, brilliant pick. I yeah. Whatever. I mean, I understand people at some point got frustrated that he got hurt, and I think he was underappreciated because it was more, again, he's like the quarterback of the defense and that like I think he did a lot <laughs> of things before the snap that is meaningful. Um, and occasionally maybe got burned because someone else didn't do their job or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, I actually think like linebacker makes a lot of sense. I just don't think the talented receivers will drop to you. And I'd actually rather gamble kind of in the second and third round on someone with that. Um, also, you just have different expectations for Hawkinson if he's making like 60 million or whatever. And I just don't love the idea of corner. I understand how much of a need that is, but I just don't. A, I don't think that guy steps in and it's the cornerback one. And two, I actually think that's more like you've taken maybe a couple in the draft and hoping one of those guys kind of steps up. I mean, as, as frustrating as people, as dancer can be, like you want the dancer level talent with, with a yeah. you know, different mindset or whatever. And you can do that later in the draft. Yeah. I, I, I think corner is the most logical pick, like, because like everyone's like, Oh, they stunk at corner last year. You got to replenish that, that cabinet. But I'm with you. Like I would wait. I've also heard and read that this is, is supposedly a deep cornerback class. Mm-hmm. So you can you can hit on guys later in in, in the draft. Um, you don't necessarily need to. Obviously, there's there's the example of Sauce Gardner, right? Like he instantly comes in. He's he's a top pick in last year's draft and becomes one of the best corners in the in the entire league. Um, but it, that's not always a guarantee. Um, you don't just automatically draft a corner in the first round. And, and then, then all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're tip top of the league and at the position. Um, another example would be like Tariq Woolen. You know, he, he's a guy who the, the Seahawks took later in the draft. And, and he's someone who developed into not as good as sauce Gardner, but a, a very, very impactful cornerback right away. Um, and then they got him in the mid round. So you don't have to force corner. Um, I guess if a top guy falls to you or a guy you have r- rated really highly on your board, you just kind of go ahead and do it. I, I like your, in, your, your, your pitch for an inside linebacker um, because I think they are going to release Eric Kendricks. I think there's a chance they release Jordan Hicks as well. Um, 
it's not a sexy pick by any means, but I think in a defense in the NFL, like edge rushers are important. Cornerbacks are important, but like the, the importance of linebackers kind of fly under the radar with everything they can do. Um, and, and you look at some of the top flight linebackers across the league, um, they're, they're household names for a reason. Cause they're, they're that impactful. I land on, on still receiver. And I think I'm always just going to be kind of biased to the offense. It's, more fun to talk about um personalities are generally like mm-hmm. more fun to cover um you know on the offensive side of the ball compared to the defense but but all i i you know not my personal feelings on on how we get to cover this team moving forward notwithstanding like i think the smartest move would be to find a compliment for justin jefferson moving forward i get that tj hawkinson is is part of that equation um and, and and we've talked about that at length on this podcast that he is the number two receiver on the team even though he plays tight end there's value there when when, when you pay a tight end their cap hit relative to number two receivers across the league is generally lower um if you pay a top a top flight tight end costs x amount of dollars and generally that's lower than a number two receiver Mm-hmm. So I get that. <clears throat> I still want to find someone to compliment Justin Jefferson on the opposite side of the field. Um, Adam Thielen's best days are behind him. He might still be with the team, but he's he's only getting worse. He's in the decline. Um, KJ Osborne, cool story. I just think a limited ceiling. Um, or at least don't bank on him, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, too. yeah. <laughs> but if someone like, Jordan Addison's there and and I've looked at mock drafts um, and a lot can change at the combine, obviously, and at pro days. Um, not sure he'll make it there. If he does, just, just do it. Pull the trigger. Go ahead. Um, I've, I've seen guys like Zay Flowers out of Boston College, Jackson Smith and Jigbo out of Ohio State. Um, if any of these talented receivers are there, I'd probably just go there with, with 23 um, and, and try and be creative with how you fill out the defense. Um, hope that Brian Flores makes an impact and is able to get more out of out of the guys that are already in place. Hope that Lewis Seen, Andrew Booth, Caleb Evans, Brian Osamoa, all the defensive players you picked last year um, under the guise of like, we're going to develop them this year and they're going to be impactful next year. Um, hope that that thought process works out. Um, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I don't know. I mean, I always fall in love with some sort of player at the combine too. So I'm sure there's going to be someone that pops out and I'm like, Oh, he runs fast. They should take him. Um, doesn't take much to impress me as, as a draft analyst. Um, but yeah, I, I think in, in this league right now with how impactful receivers can be. Um, and, you know, frankly, if you, if you commit to cousins long-term having another receiver helps, if you commit to a succession plan next year, having another receiver helps, um, it, it's all about insulating the team with, with, with people and players that are going to help for success down the road. I think a receiver kind of helps with that the most. I think one of the hardest things, and this is maybe irrational thought, but like one of the hardest things for this team is it would be helpful if they could talk to themselves. Obviously, Bar's long gone, and we talked about Thielen, yeah. but if you could like talk yourselves into like you get one more year out of them, right? Because you'd be like, well, if, if Thielen kind of starts the year as the incumbent too, and, and he falls – and Barr starts the year as like the incumbent middle linebacker and he just doesn't show the athleticism you need. You get more grace, I think, with the fan base and even with the team psyche, right? Because the players kind of know at some point, sometimes they're a little delusional, but like they kind of know at some point we kind of have what we have or whatever. 
But if you have like, if you get this haul, right? Cause there, there is a draft strategy where you're kind of trading down that first pick and you're just getting a haul of defensive players. And then if you combine the two draft classes and again, like seeing who again broke his leg, I think in, um, in London, like if he shows out, right. And you see something from Asamoah and then you see something from like, two or three guys from this draft class you go yeah they were wrong about bar and they were or or even like they were kind of kidding themselves with bar and Thielen but at least you have this whole draft class because you enter the draft with like you just can't guarantee that Thielen's any you know a receiver too again I think he's more like a three that's a red zone or even like a third down target if he returns and because bar's on gone and you're right I guess you could bring back Hicks I kind of think about him as gone in my mind just because like he did not uh you could see such a disparity like in athleticism yeah. with him. Yeah. Although I, I think Asamoah just makes everyone look bad. But but like I whether it's Hicks or there's gonna be somewhere someone kind of similar, I guess that's kind of the occupant or whatever. But I just I think it becomes harder to kind of convince yourself like now nah, we should go with the the hall. And I just worry that like you do look at the two classes together. It's fine for Quasi to say this. I won't believe that if you like you start stretching this for like year three or four. Um, but it's fine to take two class two classes and kind of combine them. Um to be fair, then that's what we should do mentally, right? We should look and go, well, how did these two classes look this year, next year, right? Or whatever. Right. And and uh, it's going to look different if you don't, if you use it. Because I think the problem with the 23rd pick is like, I that's, uh, it's in the Jefferson range, right? I mean, it's also yep. in the football range, right? You know what I mean? And that's, that's unfortunately just kind of like where, listen, you can take a receiver much higher than that and they're not going to pan out. But like, yeah. for some reason, like that sticks in my mind that you just get such variance there. And like, Rieger too, right? Like, you yeah. Know, like, and Ra- here's the thing: like, this is because it just happened last year. It doesn't matter. But it's like when Rager made that catch. I'm trying to remember against who it was. It's before the indie game because the indie game basically just buried Rager right as a receiver. Yeah. yeah. Um, but when he made that deep catch, I was like, it looked ugly and stuff. But I was like, hey, Cousins still trusts him, and he made a downfield catch. And then I think it was like literally the next game in Indianapolis, he misidentified man versus zone coverage <clears throat> on the pick six. That was not really on cousins. And then he just gave up on a route and he may have been the third or fourth option. But like if you're Jalen Rager, if you're anyone who's a depth receiver, like here's the thing, say what you want about KJ Osborne. I don't think he gives up on routes, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. He, he took the explosion from like failed kick returner, basically, or failed returner to remember that camp the next year. It was like, ah, he's, yeah, looks yeah. legit, right? Yeah. And part of that is like this is how Thielen thrived in the league or whatever. They just become very precise route runners, right? They understand leverage. They they get in and out of cuts. They, if it's three yards, they're three yards, right? It's not they don't go five. Rager just had to finish that route, and I think he gets a catch. And soon after that, like Jalen Naylor st- stepped in. Naylor's actually a really interesting guy to me. It's just like he is so far removed from being a receiver yeah. too. You know, it's more like, can he use his speed to be like, to get a couple of receptions this year or whatever. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what hurts is like, you have a first round talent who like, I think at one point Wes was kind of high on, right. He was saying like, we said, and as soon as that happens, you just go like, man, I mean, I, I think they'll give him a camp and they'll, they'll work him through, but like, we should be talking about uh, Rager like we are Osborne, right? I'm not saying guaranteed receiver too. It's more like he puts himself in the conversation and that's more credit to Osborne than anything else. But like, All right. Rager, Rager should be like competing for the Osborne spot in our mind. You know what I mean? <laughs> he just right. didn't because of that. And that's, I think that's the hardest thing to judge. Like Treadwell did look like a star in, in college. And um, to be fair, like people at the time were like, should he have taken Dotson? And Dotson was in the Vikings camp and then pan out. I mean, that's, I think that's the hardest thing is like they put themselves in a situation where they need 
to throw a lot of draft picks at the at the draft or sorry at the defense and that's why it's so hard to like go with a receiver because if that player busts you go that 23rd pick right. and two or three right. other picks right so that's a good point like for every justin jefferson there's probably three or four laquan treadwell so mm-hmm. if they take you know i just advocated for a receiver but that, that that by no means means they're going to have a guy come in and pan out and be great um those guys bust all the time. Um, so do corners, though. <laughs> and so do defensive players. And that's why the draft is so hard. And I think yeah. the, the the good GMs kind of understand that. Like, it is a crapshoot, right? Like, you do your homework. You do – obviously, you employ scouting departments and, and tons of scouts that go to X amount of games throughout the year. No one really knows what's going to happen, right? If people really knew what was going to happen, they would have taken Tariq Woolen in like the first round. He fell all the way to the third or fourth round, the second best corner in the draft last year. So, you know, they're, they're, it's educated decisions and educated guesses, but at the same time, like you, you're just doing the best you can with what's in front of you. And I honestly just hoping it works some of the time. I mean, I think I think it goes back to like Quasi and the and and thinking logically, right? Not mm-hmm. emotionally. This is, I think, what they were aiming for when they made the hire. Right? Spielman was a super scout. Most of these GMs grew up as super scouts. Yep. I think they have draft crushes now. It's much. They have much more information. They see the game at a different level. But it's not unlike your favorite draft person, right? Who goes right. like, man, any team that can get your hands on this guy, even you know, in the third round or whatever, like you got to go get him. Um, I think the this is why I think they're trading the, the first pick. I think Quasi's going, yeah, it's just like a series of percentages, right? They're they're right. just assessing like this guy has this percentage to be a, a impact player, this percentage to be a star, and this percentage to bust. And like that's why again, I just receiver and corner don't make a lot of sense to me because of the because you can kind of get them in the later rounds. Obviously, it's it's more sure. risky, but but also because of the bust rate. And I, again, just because bar panned out doesn't mean every inside linebacker will, but it does it does seem like certain positions you're going to be more certain that like you're getting an NFL caliber player. And it truly is like you talk about the talent threshold. Like there just were guys who were overexposed on the defense last year, right? Yeah. And I think again, Donatel was wasn't right about everything but i think what he wanted to say and wouldn't say was like guys i'm playing this conservatively because our guys will get burned and by the way they did at times Mm -hmm. you know and so like to implement the flores defense is much more aggressive defense flores is going i need a certain level of talent otherwise like my blitzes just don't work the guys aren't quick enough to get at the quarterback or i can't isolate this guy over here on the outside receiver because he can't go one-on-one or whatever so um yeah i don't know i mean this is this is to be fair this is, it sounds weird, but by intent, right? They competitive rebuild. They felt like they had enough. They looked at a 13 win season. They've, they've put pressure on themselves. Not that any team would lose intentionally, but mm-hmm. um, here we are where it's like, you have two positions that are very volatile that you need to address receiver and corner. And also you have a whole defense to fill out and that's not a enviable position. For sure. Well, clearly lots to talk about moving forward. Um, the off season will start to heat up now. Um, the combine is kind of the unofficial start to the off season and that's ongoing. Quasi Dofomens is talking today. Um, we've been dropping down to one episode a week. We might come back with it with the second one this week, um, just because there is so much to talk about. Um, so we'll check back in. If you're following us at Inside Purple and Gold, you'll you'll get it no matter when we we drop the episode anywhere you get your podcast. So make sure you're following us. Make sure you're rating. Make sure you're reviewing. Um, that's all we got today. Uh, thanks for stopping by. For Tom Schreier, I'm Dane Sutani. We'll talk to you next time.
2400 Sports is an Odyssey company.